For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come before your holy word this morning. And we have one desire in this place, and that is to lift high uh, the truth of your word, that we would know it rightly, that we would understand it as it is intended to be understood, and that we would apply it then to our lives uh, as you would see fit for us. And so, Lord, as we think on this text this morning, as we look over this passage that was written so many years ago, that you would convict us of sin, that you would lead us to repentance, and that we would go out from this place today changed by the power of your word proclaimed from without and the Spirit of God working within us. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from error. Uh, that you would be glorified in all that is said and done in this place this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable before you and you alone. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you were to take your car to the auto mechanic because it was making a, uh, a loud sound that it was not supposed to be making, uh, you return maybe a day or two later and the mechanic says, uh, here's, here's the problem, uh, here's what we did to fix it, now pay me. So you pay the auto mechanic, trusting in his word that he said he did what he was supposed to do to fix the sound, but you get in the car and you're driving home only to find that the sound is still there. If the work has been done, there will be evidence of that work. This is true in the Christian life as well. When Christ takes hold of our lives, we will bear fruit. Earlier in chapter 5, uh, we see the famous words about the fruit of the Spirit. You see there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, you know this full well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times we come to the fruits of the Spirit and we see them as a checklist for living some sort of moralistic Christian life. Uh, that each and every day we're striving in our own power to check off all of these things. But rather what Paul is telling us here is if Christ is in you, then you will bear fruit accordingly. 
And as we come to chapter 6, we see that then there is evidence of that fruit that impacts every area of our lives. The fruits of the Spirit impact how we parent. The fruits of the, in, of the Spirit impact our uh, career. But especially this morning, we see how the fruits of the Spirit impact every relationship that we have in the life of the church. And this is so important. As we look at these 10 verses this morning, I believe we see that those who are Christ's will do good to others. Uh, In John chapter 13, Jesus is recorded as saying this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. The evidence of your discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, is that you love others. In 1 John chapter 3, John says it this way, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so it's one thing to say you love someone, it's another thing to do it in your actions. Paul uses the words here in the text this morning, do good. And so as we think of this, doing good to others in light of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, Paul tells us where our focus should be as we seek to do good. Two things that we see here. First, our perspective needs to be this, that we look outward We see this in verses 1 through 5. A Christ-honoring view of self will result in the needs of others being met, in particular in the life of the church, and a genuine concern for our own personal sanctification. We've been talking about over the past couple weeks the issue of disunity and discord and quarreling in the life of the church, and we've talked about how that is always rooted in pride, a high view of self. And Scripture has been teaching us that we want to make less of self and more of Christ and more of others around us, that we would think better about those around us, that we would see those around us as more important than ourselves. This truth carries on in the passage we come to this morning. We could simply say it like this. How can I help others be more like Jesus? And what am I doing personally to do the same in my own life? And so in the text, you see it there. Paul gives us two practical examples with two separate commands of how this plays out in the life of the church. How do we do good to others? Well, first you see it in the example in verse 1 there of how we handle a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. When we see someone who's fallen into sin, we lovingly confront that sin. Now, this is kind of something that is uncomfortable for us. We tend to want to avoid confrontation in our relationships, especially in regards to someone else's sin. But if we truly care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul says that we will actively seek to restore them. When Paul talks about dealing with sin in our own lives and in the life of the church, he never takes a passive approach. It is an active thing that we are doing. And the word there for restore Uh, is a Greek medical term for uh, taking a fractured bone and setting it. And so the idea here is you take something that is broken and you set it straight. And so we come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ who find themselves in sin, and we have a desire to set them back on the path of obedience to Christ. 
They have wandered off into the old way of life, the old self, and we are to gently, it says, come alongside them and lead them back in the path of righteousness. Notice that he says there to do it in a spirit of gentleness. This is not to be done in arrogance in the sense of, I've really got this Christian life thing figured out. Now, if you could just come up to my level, your life will be great as well. No, we are patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a genuine concern for them to be walking in obedience to Christ, not to boast in self, but to boast in the Lord. And so when we come along, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with sin, we say to them, not that I've got this Christian life figured out, but we say, brother, sister, I too am prone to wander. I am prone each and every day to fall back into the old self. Let me come alongside you and encourage you and hold you accountable and, and, and challenge you in your walk with the Lord so that we together can grow in Christ. We cannot force restoration, though. If someone needs to be restored, they must admit their own need for that. But then the second part of verse 1 is very telling, and we'll talk about this more in a second. Um, we see in the second part there of verse 1 that we can't properly help others in restoration from sin if we aren't actively killing sin in our own lives first. This is important, and Jesus speaks of this in Luke chapter 6, verse 42, when he says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out uh, that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so part of our doing good to one another is that we help each other in sanctification. We help each other become more like Jesus. The second illustration he gives us there is with the word bear one another's burdens. How we bear one another's burdens is very telling. Uh, this word here, to, to bear burdens, uh, speaks of the idea of taking a weight off someone else's burden. It's a burden that's too much for one person to carry alone. I, I think about in our house, we're moving in, we had a lot of furniture coming in, and those big heavy boxes that have the sign on it that say team lift, right? You can't lift it on your own. You need somebody else to come alongside you and bear your burdens. Now, these burdens might be the burdens of sin, in your past life, like we just talked about. Uh, but these burdens are also just the burdens of life, that we come alongside each other, doing good to one another, and relieve each other of those burdens. But notice what it's rooted in here. It's not rooted in just to feel good about ourselves. It's rooted in obedience to Christ. It talks there about the commands of Christ. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, what? Love one another. So we do this not to earn something, we do this because Christ commands us to. Now, as we think about doing good to others, Paul points out to us here two pitfalls that keep us from doing this well. One of them is the same culprit we've seen the past two weeks, and that is pride. You see this there in verse 3. Pride keeps us from loving others well. The attitude of thinking, I've got it all together, and nobody else does. The truth of verse 3 is rather we are nothing, and this is what we talked about last week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful, dear friend, if you think this morning that you've got it all figured out. Be careful this morning if you think that you're killing it in the Christian life, that you have, you're, just, you're, 
You've got it together. Watch yourself. Secondly, though, he points out something that we have not mentioned yet, and that's comparison, comparing ourselves to one another. Uh, There's a positive way we can compare ourselves to one another and a negative way. Uh, We can look at others and think to ourselves, wow, I'm better than they are, but we can also, in comparison, look to others and think, man, I really wish I was more like them. If only I could be like them. But what he tells us here is that comparison puts the attention where? Back on self. So he says, guard yourself from this type of comparison. Now, as we're walking through these verses here, verses 1 through 5, I hope you feel a tension. There is a tension in this text. Paul's not contradicting himself, but there is definitely a tension in this passage. And there's two things that I think we want to point out here real quick. First of all is in verse 4. Look at the second half of verse 4. He said, Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. Hopefully you're, you're thinking about last week's passage where we said we boast in Christ alone, not in self. What is Paul talking about here? Boasting in self? I think Luther helps us here in his translation of the passage. Luther translated the text this way. He said, but let every man try his own work, test his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing or boasting in himself only and not in another. And so what the text is saying here is, as you are responsible for yourself and your own life in Christ, if you look back at where you have come in Christ You should be encouraged in the fact that you are not the same person today that you were yesterday or the day before or the day before that. As you look at the sanctifying work of Christ in your life, that you rejoice in the fact that you are changed. And the boasting here is not necessarily in what you have done. The boasting, the rejoicing is the fact that Christ is at work in your life. Uh, Luther, in his commentary on this verse, said this. He said, He careth not whether the world praise or dispraise him. He's not worried about what others think. He's not worried about the approval of men, but he hath praise in himself, which is the testimony of his conscience and glory in God. He's citing here 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, which says this, and listen, it says, For our boast is this. What do we boast in, brothers and sisters? The testimony of our conscience, the evidence that Christ is at work in our lives, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. So the boasting here is not in self. The boasting is in the grace of God that has taken hold of our lives. And so the reality that he's dealing with here is in verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. We are each responsible for our own growth. Now that leads to the second point of tension here. You, You might say, well, didn't he just say we need to bear others' burdens? Didn't he say we need to restore brothers and sisters in Christ? And now he's saying, just take care of yourself, worry about self. Is he contradicting himself here? No. Notice the word there for heavy burdens in verse 2, and then the word for burden in verse 5, or bear, have to bear his own load. Uh, These two words are completely different words in the original language. Again, verse 2 is talking about something that is too much for someone to carry by themselves. The word there in verse 5 is just the common Greek word for pack, what we might think of as a backpack in our day. And Paul is saying to them, take care of your own stuff. 
take care of your own business, and in so doing, you will do a better job of taking care of others, looking outwardly. We are to be an outward-looking people. First, we look to Christ, and we look to Christ alone for all that we need. But then we look to others and how we can meet their needs. And then finally, when we do look inwardly, it is not to find self-truth or to find God or to find what we feel is best in this life. It is to do like David did and say, Lord, search me and know me. And if there be any grievous way in me, set me on the path of righteousness, that we would look inward only to be convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit so that we can repent and follow after Jesus. Look outward is what Paul is telling us here. Now, this is very anti-culture, what we're talking about here. It's always been anti-culture. The culture has always been about self, but especially in our day, there is a blatant sense of look to self. Uh, you hear it in terms like self-care and self-seeking. Find your truth. Look within yourself. I found a quote from a um, New Age thinker on the internet. I have no idea who this person is. Uh, but I thought the quote was very fitting of the culture today. It says this, There is nothing outside yourself. Look within Everything you want is there. You are that. That's what the world says. Essentially, you are God. You are the center of the universe. Look to self. Dear friend, that is blasphemous. As Christians, we don't look within. We look outward. This has a lot to do with the problem of the emotional needs that we have in our time. We see a lot of people in our world today struggling emotionally, and the answer to their problem is look within, look within, look within. And Christ tells us this morning to look to others. Turn your attention away from yourself. Look to bear the burdens of others. As we sit in this place this morning, there are dear friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting some of you are going through seasons of trial that have been going on for, for years, maybe just even just for a few days. People who are sitting in this room this morning who, who are going through great trials and seasons of hurt and struggles in life, and we have a charge to bear one another's burdens this morning. Maybe that looks like watching the kids for a young mother in our church so she can have some time to herself. Maybe that looks like mowing the grass for someone who's been in the hospital, or, or maybe it's simply cooking a meal for an elderly couple in our church who's going through some uh, sickness and illness. How can we bear one another's burdens? But then also, how do we restore those who are hurting and find themselves in seasons of sin? When you see a brother or sister in Christ, who is in sin, don't avoid it. That's not the Christian biblical thing to do, the Christ-exalting thing to do, but rather, in love, hold each other accountable. Check on each other's spiritual well-being. Pray for one another. Encourage one another and build each other up in Christ. Look outward. Don't look to self. Look to Christ. Christ.
Not only are we looking outwardly, though, as we consider how to meet the needs of others, Paul then tells us to look heavenward. We see this in verses 6 through 10. The truth that Scripture teaches us is this. If you are in Christ, he will keep you to the end. There are things, then, that we should be doing to be faithful as we wait to that end. When we come to faith in Christ, we are justified. We are put in good standing before a holy creator God. But as we walk through this life, we still struggle with sin. But the Spirit of God is sanctifying us, and then one day when we die and leave this earth, we will be glorified to the Father. If you are in Christ this morning, that is a certainty for you. Notice what he says there in the text. In due season. The time is coming, friend. There will be a day when no one in this room will have breath in their lungs on this earth again. Each of us are headed to the grave. In the meantime, brother and sister in Christ, look to the needs of others. Meet the needs of others. Do good, Paul says. Notice here his first point of application in verse 6. He talks about taking care of the preacher. Uh, This is funny to me. For two reasons, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. I did not plan this. Uh, Second of all, I do not want to stand up here and tell you to pay me better. That's not what we're saying here. It's just in the text. We came to it. I just find this quite humorous. What's the point, though? What's at the heart here? Obviously, Paul is teaching that you need to take care of the teacher, but there's more to this. There's more to what we see here. What is it? Paul, in these verses, and I hope you noticed it, is talking about how we reap what we sow Reaping what you sow is at the heart of this passage. So for Paul, the example, the illustration he gives is by supporting godly teachers in the church, you are doing something good. Otherwise, you will find yourself with bad teachers as a compromise. And so for Paul, the support of biblical teaching is important here because you will be hard-pressed to find persevering saints sitting under false and ungodly teaching. In other words, if, if the church is sitting under ungodly teaching and bad teaching, it will be hard for them to persevere to the end, to continue in good works. In other words, invest in kingdom work, Paul says. And so in verse 7, he points out that we might think we can sow a little and reap much, but God knows otherwise. He is not mocked. Just a side note here, again, to point out the culture I'm not sure how aware you are of this, but there is a, a trend in the, the young generation that's coming into the workforce in America today to intentionally do as little work as possible without getting fired. Like, that's the goal. <laughs> this is not how we live our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, if Christ has taken hold of you this morning, you will live your life accordingly in every area. And so he says here, what we invest our time, energy, and money in, we will reap accordingly in verses 8 through 9. Now, a lot of commentators think that this verses 6 through 10 is specifically about giving. There's definitely that application. I think, though, we're talking about life in general. Uh, Reaping what you sow. If you spend all of your money, time, and energy on golf, guess what you're going to reap? A better golf score. This is true in your personal life, your family, and in this church. In fact, this is what we call an immutable law of God. This is an absolute law of God. You will reap what you sow. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up you fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you, Hosea 10, 12. Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The heart of the issue here, though, is eternal life. Those who try and earn salvation in themselves will reap eternal death. But for those who are in Christ, we know that we will with certainty reap eternal life. Christ will keep us to the end if we are truly in him. You see this there in verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap what? Eternal life. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, what? We will reap if we do not give up. This is a certainty for us if we are in Christ. And so our response to this certainty, our response to this truth that Christ will keep us to the end, is found there again in verses 9 and 10. Do not grow weary in doing good, brother and sister. Let us do good to everyone. The the verb there is speaking of a continuous action. We are continually looking to do good to others. And he says there, especially to the church. When the farmer sows his field, the shocking reality for the farmer each and every year is that there is no guarantee he will reap a harvest. There could be drought, there could be flood, there could be fire, and all of his work in a moment could be for nothing. And yet the farmer, year in and year out, faithfully prepares the field. He's faithful to the task. He perseveres, knowing full well that it might be for nothing. And yet for us this morning in Christ, this is not so. We know what we have waiting for us in Christ. And so Paul's charge to us this morning is do not grow weary. Keep striving to do good, knowing full well that you will reap eternal life. We are faithful to that end and do not grow tired in doing good, especially doing good to others. And when we feel tired, we look heavenward. We are almost home, dear friends. Keep fighting the fight. Keep doing good, Paul says. Don't grow weary. And so I think of the work that some of you do week in and week out, the good, righteous work that you're doing. I think of of the young moms that are represented here this morning. I, I think of my own wife homeschooling four kids. Man, that is a task. Mom, with young kids, your work is cut out for you, and there are some days where you are just exhausted. But hear me, the task that God has entrusted to you is a profound task. It is a godly task. Keep doing the work. Do not grow weary, dear sister. I think of some of you who are working in the secular business world, and you have to deal with some really ugly people day in and day out. Hateful, sinful, wicked people And in the midst of that, you're trying to be kind and loving and encouraging. You're trying to represent Christ well in the workplace, and it becomes tiresome and wearisome. Brother and sister, do not grow weary. Maybe you're a Bible teacher in this church, and as you teach the Word of God, maybe you're not seeing the fruit that you want to see. Do not grow weary. 
Maybe you're a ministry leader in this place and you just can't get the people to support the ministry like you want them to. Do not grow weary. For in due season, you will reap if you do not give up. And so as we think of these things this morning, as Paul tells us that those who are in Christ will do good to others, we are reminded to look outward and to look heavenward. Because the fruit of salvation is made visible through meeting the needs of others. And so if Christ has taken hold of your life this morning, you will find yourself bearing the burdens of others and doing good to others. And so as we close this time this morning, I I want us to consider how might the Spirit of God be convicting you in light of this passage this morning? Maybe you need to do a better job of dealing with the log in your own eye. If you're honest this morning, as you look at this passage and the Spirit convicts, you realize you are just a critical person. And God made you that way. He made you to be that way. But sometimes your critical spirit can be one that looks down on others or looks at yourself as better than others. Maybe you need to deal with some some of your own sin this morning. Maybe you need to be a better friend by confronting sin in your brother and sister in Christ this morning instead of brushing it under the rug. Maybe for some time the Spirit of God's been convicting you. You you need to help this friend. They're, They're living in sin. How can you gently come alongside them and encourage them to be more like Jesus? That's our desire. Maybe you sense this morning that you've grown weary in whatever tasks that God has called you to in doing good. And you just need to recommit yourself this morning to that task. To recommit yourself this morning to what it is God has called you to do in this life in doing good, that you would not grow weary. But finally this morning, I wonder if there's someone here who as you look at your life and we consider these fruits of the Spirit and evidence of Christ in us, if you were to be honest and were to look at your life this morning, you would realize that there's no fruit of the Spirit. There's no evidence that Christ has taken hold of your life. And as you look back over your life in the time that you maybe thought you became a Christian, maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe your mom and dad told you you were a Christian, maybe you've been coming to church your whole life and you thought you were a Christian, and you look back over that span of your life and you realize that you just keep living like the old self, that there's no change, there's no evidence that Christ is your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you this morning that as you look at your life in that sense, If you don't see evidence or fruit this morning, you must consider and test yourself to see if you truly are in the faith. Are you truly in Christ this morning? Because the word tells us here, if you are in Christ, there will be fruit. There will be evidence. And so my plead with you this morning is to believe in Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn away from yourself. Believe in him and him alone. These things that we sung about just a moment ago, that he became a man, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross, he rose victoriously over sin and death. If you believe in him this morning and repent of your sins, you will be saved. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, you can trust that there will be evidence and fruit in your life. Would you believe in Christ this morning? 
I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be standing here at the front in a moment. Maybe you're just uncertain. Maybe you think you're a Christian, but you just don't know because somebody's been telling you you're a Christian your whole life and you never have really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't leave this place this morning without dealing with that. Find me, find one of our deacons, find someone who's nearby so that we can help you know the truth of the gospel more clearly and that you might indeed believe in Christ for salvation this morning.